All right, good morning again. I've got my, my air running here. I had to go get my glasses because when I get old, and I am, it makes it harder to read it in my Bible. So that's what's going on there. I don't know why I feel compelled to explain everything to you. <clears throat> We're in Psalm 9. Go ahead and grab your Bible. Make your way over to Psalm 9. Get it before your eyes. <clears throat> Fun fact about Psalm 9. Uh, if you look in older Roman Catholic Bibles, you'll find that Psalms... Uh, 9 and 10 are treated like one single psalm, uh, which messes up everything afterwards, right? So some of the older Roman Catholic Bibles, you'd find uh, Psalm 23 is actually Psalm 22. Um, really, when you try to read things out loud, it would get confusing. Uh, the reason this is, is that older Roman Catholic Bibles were based on the Latin Vulgate, which is a translation from an old, uh, before that, a, an old Greek Old Testament translation called the Septuagint, and this is all getting really confusing, but... Uh, basic bottom line thing going on here is the Old Testament was originally written in, in Hebrew, a uh, little bit of Aramaic, but mostly Hebrew, and it's uh, in the oldest manuscripts, these two are considered two psalms, which is why it's been that way in the Protestants' Bibles since forever. Uh, no, Protestants haven't been forever, have they? Uh, anyway, which is fitting because of this. It's, it's uh, two very different themes. If you were to go and read Psalm 10 after today, you'd find they, they don't seem to go together, and you can make a whole argument for that. I don't even know why I'm telling you this, so Anyway, we're going to do just Psalm 9. So unless you happen to be in a really old Catholic Bible, you're good. <clears throat> uh, doesn't matter. Either way, it's, it's the Word of God uh, for us. So uh, this is written by David, and at the beginning we see these, these notes to the choir master uh, regarding how to sing it. Uh, and then that weird word you see, Muth Laban, uh, it, it's not really understood. It occurs nowhere else in Scripture, but at this point right here, there are some theories that it's musical instruction on how you sing it, or maybe it's the occasion of which you sing it, but no one's sure exactly what it means, so we don't know. Uh, I just tell you that, so you don't look at it and wonder, what does that mean? Why didn't he tell me? Um, only God knows for sure what it actually means, and so you can just add that to your growing list that we are collecting of questions to ask the Lord in eternity, somewhere between, uh, did Adam have a belly button and what was Kanye thinking? Uh, I don't know. Somewhere between those two. Uh, anyway, Psalm 9. Let's, let's read it, uh, and then we'll, we'll dig into it. I've had two weeks off. I feel a little rusty here, okay? <clears throat> Psalm 9, verse 1. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wondrous deeds. I will be glad and exalt in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established His throne for justice, and He judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know Your name put their trust in You, for You, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek You. <clears throat> Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion that tell among the peoples His deeds for he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the 
gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk in the pit that they made, in the net that they had hid their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known, he has executed judgment. The, the wicked are snared in the work of their hands, their own hands. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail, let the nations be judged before you. Let them in fear, O Lord, or put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. And the grass withers, the flower fades. <clears throat> Let us pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we, we come before you in humility, seeking to learn, to grow, to be changed. And so we, we ask, would, would you please open our hearts? Would you enlighten our minds to understand and to receive your word, which is Psalm 9 this morning, so that it would transform our hearts, Lord, so that it would direct our steps. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so David, <clears throat> David beautifully, beautifully sets the tone of Psalm 9 with these first two verses. Um, let me read them to you again. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Those are words that are worthy of memorization. The, the sort of earworm lyrics that you want, or at least the, the kind of lyrics that you really need stuck in your brain, rolling around and rolling around. You see, in these 37 words, there are five verbs describing how David worships God, right? You see him there? He recounts, right? Remembering what God has done. He is glad. Emotion there. He exalts. That's the, the praise the Lord. And, and, and he sings praise to God. Give thanks is the fifth one at the beginning. <clears throat> but, but what leaves me most, most wonderstruck about these two verses here, and also most deeply convicted, if I'm incredibly honest here, is that very first line, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. Wonder struck because I found even as Christians, we, we are more prone to grumble about our lives, about our situations, about what we see God has done in our life, right? To, to recount all the terrible things that have occurred rather than all the wonderful things. If anything, we are more prone to, well, just to reword the first line, right? Uh, I will complain to the Lord with my whole heart seems to be more common. Now, there is a, a thin line between complaining and lamenting. We see both of those uh, in Scripture, particularly in the Psalms. They are full of laments to the Lord, and it is good and it is right for us to pray to the Lord, laments that way, to speak to our Heavenly Father that way. But it, it is also good and right to wholeheartedly thank the Lord for the wonderful things that He has done for us and, and for just the glorious God that He is. Now, I don't want to presume upon you, right? So let me just ask, is, is most of your gratitude to the Lord, uh, um, is it somewhat apathetic, half-hearted sort of thankfulness? Uh, is it the sort of thing where you're like, uh, thanks for this food, God, and this day? Which are not bad things. I, I'm talking about what is, what is behind statements like that. Or, or let me put it this way. When, when was the last time you were genuinely 
wholehearted, with all your being, grateful to the Lord. Grateful to be alive. Grateful for your friends and your family. Grateful for tacos and for music, for hope. Grateful for this precious book that we have in, in, in the language that we speak. Grateful for Jesus and the cross and the empty tomb and the promise of eternity uh, with our triune God in an unstained, fully restored world. Grateful for that. And you see, this is not the only place in Scripture that we are, we are called to be wholehearted. One, one other instance is um, when, when the Jewish scribes in, in Mark 12:30, right, they asked Jesus, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus responds, you remember, right, he's pulling from Deuteronomy 6.5. Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your whole heart, right? All your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. It's that wholeness, that entirety. And one of the ways that we love God wholeheartedly is to express gratitude for all that God is and all that God has done for us, for you. Now, as David often does in the Psalms, he He expresses this gratitude first without specifics, right? These first two verses don't tell us specifically what it is, just that he does. And and it's wonderful this way because it it allows worshipers in all eras to to be able to use this as a model for our own prayers, for our own gratitude. So it raises that question, right? What, What wonderful deeds in your life can you recount, truly recount and be grateful to the Lord for? Right? Do you, do you know how to do that? Do you know how to do that privately and, and publicly with a friend? Otherwise, and, you know, uh, I'll tell you, many of you know I'm not a big fan of social media. If you'll give me a few minutes sometime, I'll glad you tell you all the reasons why. Uh, and, and yet, I was on Facebook, uh, I don't know why, recently, and, and came across this post by Samuel Casting that was actually posted months and months and months ago. Uh, he was part of Manhattan Prez uh, before abandoning us and moving to Columbia, Missouri to do campus ministry there. He didn't abandon us, but um, we tell him that. Uh, anyway, his post is a good example of how to express gratitude to the Lord. And, 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 this, and listen, I, I'm reading something on social media. I know you're like, social media is no good. Now you're reading something from it. But um, <clears throat> this would be just as powerful, just as wonderful, just as glorifying to the Lord if you spoke this to a friend, right? If you said this to... to, to anyone as it is here on social media. So, so here's what he said. Sam said, as of yesterday, it has been five years since my car accident. It's still a surreal moment in my life. One that I, th- I still think about often. Life moves quickly and there is a mystery to it. As a Christian, I am thankful for how God's presence and the church have been a constant source of comfort for us. I know that isn't everyone's story, but I can't help but reflect on God's kindness in my life even when I don't understand how things are or even why they are. Now that's, that's one way that you recount the wonderful deeds of the Lord. To so just speak of, of what He's done in your life. And it doesn't have to be some major event like that. It, it might just be gratitude for lunch, but real gratitude for lunch. Or gratitude for the fact that some friend asked you, you know, how are you doing? At a moment when you really needed to be asked how you're doing. Or it might just be... Uh, you know, after a fresh, you know, reflection on a passage of Scripture or, or, or for just a moment when you think back to the gospel and your sins are forgiven and just, and just remember that anew like you did maybe the first time you ever remembered it, right? And, and just think of the gratitude you have. The, the late Presbyterian pastor, James Montgomery Boyce, after, after meditating on Psalm 9, uh, said it moved him to a new practice. He, he said this, I decided to make a point every day of acknowledging God's goodness in some area to some person. 
That doesn't seem like much, but when I began to think along these lines, I realized how much time frequently went by without me having praised God for anything. And I discovered something else. Once I had begun to make a point of acknowledging God's goodness, I began to think of his goodness more often. And I actually developed a more positive and spiritual frame of mind. Now I expect if, if you and I committed to something similar to that, to just thanking God for something good that he has done for you, that he has done for someone else, right? To do this in a prayer to God, to do this just speaking to someone in your life, a family member, a roommate, a co-worker, I don't, the cashier at Dylan's, right? Just whoever. If we did that, I expect we would do wonders, wonders for our gratitude to God and our outlook on life. Now, there's something interesting I want you to see occurring here as we go from verse 1 to to verse 2 even, right? Because uh, in verse 1, as I've just told you, right, David recounts, that is, he is intentionally remembering, thinking about uh, all the things that God has done, these wonderful deeds that God has done in in historical redemption and in their life in particular, and he he gives thanks to God for them. And and now, here's what I want you to see. This recounting, this gratitude to God, it fills up and it overflows into this gladness, into this praise of God that you see in verse 2. Have a look at it, right? It goes from one to the next. And, 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 And that's how genuine, wholehearted worship comes about. You see, if, if we don't recount the goodness of who God is and what God has done, we, we shouldn't be surprised if our worship is then half-hearted. I, don't even, I mean, how do you worship God if you're not even considering how worthy of worship He is? <clears throat> you, you see, you and I, we instinctively praise the things we love. Now, a, a while back, uh, our family was in, in Bath and Body Works. That's the one in the mall, right, with all the scents. <clears throat> and, and every time we go in there, right, Laura goes to do whatever we came there to actually do. Uh, and the other four of us, me and the kids, we just go around and we put on like 400 different lotions on our bodies. And so you're like, oh, smell this, smell this. Uh, it's, it's everywhere. And, and every time we, we find one that we love, it's, it's not okay for us just to be like, that smells great. I love that, right? That's not this, this full satisfaction. You, you have to call someone over. Like, come, come smell right here, right? You got to smell. It smells just like cookies. You got to try this, right? And uh, and, and one of the more recent times we went, Beckham and I found this scent called Into the Night. Admittedly, not the most manly scent, but it's wonderful smelling. Uh, we have it as a bar of soap. Uh, anyway, we had to verbally express it to everyone. You've got to smell this. It's the greatest smell ever, Into the Night. Uh, and, and, and we do this with everything. We all do this, right? You, you've got to hear this new album. It is so good. You, you've, you've got to try Taco Lucha's Chipotle raspberry black bean dip. It is so delicious. You, you've got to enjoy an afternoon of baseball at Wrigley. There's nothing like it, right? That's the way we do it. Now, now C.S. Lewis famously explained this idea saying this. He said, the world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses. Readers their favorite poets. Uh, walkers praising the countryside. Players praising their favorite game. Praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, horses, colleges, Countries, historical persons, children's flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, and, and, and even sometimes politicians and scholars. And he goes on, I, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It, it is, it's a pointed consummation. It's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is actually expressed. Are you getting this? If you're going to genuinely praise God, 
You must first genuinely enjoy God. Love God. And, and if you're going to enjoy God, you, you have to know God. You've, you've got to write it as Psalm 34.8 says, right? To taste and see that the Lord is good. You, you have to mindfully consider how God reveals Himself to us in the Scriptures. You've got to, to know how God has been good to you. And that means reflecting mindfully on what, what has God done in my life. Not just the painful things, which are real in there, and I don't take away from that, right? But, but also, what has He done wonderful for you? And, and when we do that, praise will follow. But because we can't help but, but praise what we delight in or who we delight in. Now, now David in Psalm 9 models this beautiful I also want you to take notice here in verse 2 of one more little thing. David, the, the way David reverently addresses God on that last phrase, right? Oh, most high. Right? Oh, most high. There is none higher. There is nothing more glorious than the Lord our God. He is the universal God. And this is one of the things he's communicating here. This is not just the God of Israel, right? God is the universal God, the supreme authority of all nations, all the universe. And the God that David is praising here is the God that we worship as well. The only God. Now I promise every section doesn't have as much time to it so you don't panic here. But from verses uh, 3, 3 to 6, David begins to recount specific examples of the wonderful deeds that God has done for him. Uh, for him as king over Israel, right? And, and for Israel as his covenant people. And now six times David says to the Lord that you have. I want you to notice this if you got it in front of you, right? Six times. You have maintained my just cause. You have rebuked the nations. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. And, and you and I, if, if we're living in this time and we're seeing what's going on, we're looking, we're like, well, no, David, it was you in the army. You're the one who is doing most of this stuff, right? You, you've gone out and you fought and you've defended Israel and you've done really good work. Well done, but... But David understands here, yeah, they've gone and done that, but ultimately it's the Lord who's accomplished this victory. And it's good and it's right for David to acknowledge what, what God has accomplished for them. And so already in this section, right, how do, how do we apply this? And it's one of those things that sometimes we read the Psalms and we're like, I don't know what to do with that because, you know, even those of you who are soldiers here, you're not fighting in an act of war right this moment. I mean, not that I've been made aware of anyway. And, and, and while you might have enemies at work, right, or socially, some of you have these arch nemesis. I know how that goes, uh, right? You, you don't really want God to literally just destroy them, right? To just wipe them off the face of the earth. You, you might say that jokingly right now. I hope you don't mean that. And I, I know that. I, I say that because Jesus in Matthew 5, instructs us to love our enemies and to pray for them. And so then one way that we apply this then is, is how we pray. Asking God to, to bring our enemies to salvation, right? To change them, to, to make peace between us and them. Another way that we can apply this is to pray just like David does here, but in regards to our spiritual enemy, the devil. Right? Because we know that, the, that Satan is still active. He is uh, defeated, yes, and, and, and yet he is still active. We, we see things happening. And, and so we ask God to utterly destroy Satan, to, to blot out his name forever without any qualifications. And so then verses 7 and 8, we, we learn that the Lord is king. And he sits as king on the throne forever. We also learn that unlike human beings and human authorities, God judges justly 100% of the time. 
You see, while in our life, our world, some are uh, wrongly convicted uh, in, this, in this life, no one will be wrongly condemned in the court of the Lord. That's who our God is, and, and we were able, you know, you and I, we're, we're made in the image of God. We, we're called to do justice as well. <clears throat> I mean, listen to, to God's instruction on uh, Micah 6, 8. Um, he has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord, uh, what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. Going back to Montgomery, uh, James Montgomery Boys from another thing, he's talking on this psalm, on Micah passage, he says, uh, <clears throat> this requires us to act justly and to be concerned with justice elsewhere. Above all, it means to be concerned with justice for other persons. And listen, biblical justice is not necessarily uh, what is trending as hashtag justice in the world we live. It may be what's trending, and, and when that's the case, we should rejoice in that, but, but you and I should look to God's word if we want to understand what true biblical justice is, what justice really is. Now, at the very least, though, we, we, we need to rejoice and to praise God as much as David does here in, in Psalm 9, whenever and wherever and by whomever we see justice done. Now, the other thing that I, I want you to be aware of here is, is that Paul, in, in Acts 17.31, actually quotes verse 8 of our, our, our psalm here uh, today, and he's referring to Jesus when he says this. He says, he will judge the world in, in righteousness. And, and I just, I point that out to you because it's true of all the Psalms, but sometimes we see explicitly when it's quoted in the New Testament, right, that, uh, that you understand this. When, when we read about the splendor of God's righteous judgment in Psalm 9, we are reading about the reign and the rule of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? We, we see Christ all throughout the Old Testament. Be looking for that. We see it here uh, explicitly. So, so then verses 9 and 10 build on the idea of, of God's justice, but but now it's, a, it's in how it regard or how it applies specifically to those who are oppressed and, and those who belong to the Lord. And right, signified there, if you look, right, by the fact that they know God's name. Uh, the, these verses give hope to those who are oppressed and, and or to those who look on oppression and, and, and feel powerless. Because, you know, we, we long for, for justice in the world. We, we long for a judge so righteous that he can see right through the lies. He can see right through deception. In short, we, we long for God to put things right, don't we? Uh, that's why John Garrett's song, Citizens, I, I think resonates with so many people when he, when he sings those lines. Uh, I need to know there is justice, that it will roll in abundance. And this longing for justice that is, is buried deep in our hearts, it leads us to God because God is the only one who is truly just. And one day, God will set everything right. That, that's our hope. That's our, our real hope. That, that, that's why we say, right, and not as a hopeless line, right, of, oh, everything's miserable, although we might use it that way, but really, right, uh, not hopelessly, but with unburdening of, uh, you know, hope, with a come, Lord Jesus. We, we want to see the world be put right. We want to see justice. The, the bottom line here is God cares for the oppressed, and, and so you and I should too. And that means thoughtfully discerning who are the oppressed, not just being told by whoever wants to tell you that, right? And, and one heartbreakingly obvious example would, would be, all right, I'm going to tell you one now, right? Those young girls and women caught in sex trafficking. And you wonder, well, what am I supposed to do about that? Well, there's a lot of things that we could do about that. But I'll, I'll just give you one, and, and we start with this. How about we, we pray for them? Right? Even if it's not on your doorstep, you don't know what to do with it. It doesn't keep us from being able to, to pray for their deliverance. It doesn't keep us from being able to pray for the, the Lord to bring an end to that. 
Now in verses uh, 11 and 12, David returns to praising the Lord and he urges others to also sing God's praises. In this section, you, you see that term Zion. Um, I tell you this just because I went many years after coming to faith in Christ not understanding why Zion was this reference. What is it? It's, it's, a, it's a reference to Mount Zion in, in Jerusalem where when David is writing this, the temple is going to be built, right? To be kind of the, 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 the worldly, the presence of the Lord or specific presence of the Lord at the time. Uh, so that's what it's talking about there. Uh, now in, look in verse 13. You, you see what David prays here. He says, Be gracious to me, O Lord. It's a beautiful thing to see a guy like David, king, no one higher in the land. And here he is praying to the Lord, be gracious to me. And it's wonderful because grace is, is always undeserved. And David never approaches God on the basis of his own goodness or his own position of, you know, as, as though he were owed anything at all. You, you see, the path of entitlement may lead you many places, but it is never going to lead you to the grace of God in the gospel. In, in, in verses 13 to 16 here, David is again asking God to defeat their enemies and deliver them. And again, we aren't living in a literal war zone here, and yet God's word speaks to us. We, we must learn to apply passages like this better, I, I, I believe, uh, to not just shrug our shoulders and, and, you know, and at the realization, you know, uh, there aren't unbelieving nations trying to kick down the doors and, and actively kill us or invade us right now. And yet, again, the evil one still roams around like a roaring lion seeking to devour us. You know also there are threats against your health, against your livelihood, against your faith, your, in the Lord, right? Against your, your sanctification that, that's becoming more like Jesus. Um, Laura and I have been re reading this book when we're driving. It's kind of a thing we do. One of us reads out loud. And one chapter in this book really revealed that uh, I easily fall into cynicism. I don't know if I say that word right, but cynicism. It's a really dumb chapter. Uh, just kidding, it's really helpful. Uh, but, but really, there, there's this battle waging in my heart to, to trust God, to, to see the best in, in people more often, to, to use words in kind ways and, and not just hide behind humorous sarcasm all the time. And, and, and so I you know, love the fact that it's, it's drawing this out of me because I need to be praying, I need to be asking God to deliver me from this, this sin of cynicism. And to gratefully praise God when I, when I see progress or when I see other people really growing in that way and just the encouragement it is. Now, now, maybe for you it's cynicism too. I don't know, but uh, right? Maybe for you it's the, the enemy is a, a pornography habit. Maybe it's a, a gossip habit. Maybe, maybe it's learning to trust God through some medical thing that you don't want and you don't know how to get rid of and you're frustrated about it. Or maybe it's just trusting God with your finances. They don't look so hot. Or, or maybe it's just the battle to love God wholeheartedly. And the enemy is it's apathy. The, the enemy is entertainment. It's that technological marvel that lives in your pocket when it's not delivering hit after hit of uh, anxiety-laced dopamine to you. And, and so then in verse 17, we, we learn the, the wicked shall return to, to Sheol right? Um, that word sheol is at times just a poetic reference to the grave and has no judgment with it. At other times, it, it carries this sense of God's divine judgment on someone, in which case we, we view it, you know, almost synonymously with, with hell. Uh, from context, that's certainly how it's being used here, that the wicked will not prevail. There is judgment in this. In this. And then in verse 18, we learn that while the, the needy and the poor may feel abandoned today, they, it will not always be that way. That's hope. 
And this brings us to our final two verses, 19 and 20. Let me read them again to you. David's praying, and he says, Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. Right? It seems like there's a big emphasis on their being men, but the, the, the real emphasis here is on that, that God is not a man. God is, God is God, right? And, and so some of us face, you know, human enemies, that's for sure, but also, you know, spiritual forces, as we've mentioned already, of, you know, the evil one who wants to destroy you. We, we, we must remember that there is only one most high, and that's the Lord our God. We, we, we know that, you know, Satan again has been defeated by our Lord Jesus Christ. We know that, that already the victory is secure. It is absolutely certain. And we know that the, the full fulfillment of God's conquering victory is, is absolutely certain, something we look forward to. That, that's why, like, like David in the opening verses, right, even in the midst of trouble, we can say to our glorious God, we can really say this, I give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exalt in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. So listen, here, some of you are like, it's hot, can we be done? Yeah, we can be done. But let me give you one more thing, right? So often, we walk away from the preaching of God's Word by simply judging the quality of the sermon. I know it, right? You walk out of here and you're like, what do you think? I don't know, it was all right. I know this because the last two weeks, I have absolutely done that when I walked out of, uh, out of, out of these other congregations, right? <clears throat> and... And that's okay. You can still do that. I don't care if you want to do that, right? If you want to be like, he didn't even mention that Higaigon, you know, word in verse 16. Now you're like, what verse? It's there. It just means like a murmur of a harp or something. It's one of those weird musical things. Who cares? Anyway, you can go back to judging me later. But here's what I really want you to do. Okay, this is where it's really important to me. Will you, on the way home, or at lunch today, or at dinner tonight, or sometime, will, will you try to put the most clear and obvious application of Psalm 9 into actual practice in your life? That it's not just words we're like, oh, something, that was something. Let's go on with our life, right? Will you consider and, and really wrestle through, think about this, be mindful in that sense? Will you speak out loud to someone or just pray to God? Really, I want you to speak out loud to someone, right? Just a wonderful deed that God has done in your life. That's option A, your life, right? And this is the one we don't do very often, right? Or maybe somebody else's life. That you see, look what God has done in the life. And I want to praise Him for it. I want to rejoice in that. Or, or just that you've seen in the world. Right? I mean, like the fact that avocados grow on whatever they grow on. That is a glorious thing. Right? <clears throat> in, in other words, will you actually recount the wonderful deeds of God like we see David do here in Psalm 9? And then, will you do it again tomorrow? And if I'm not getting, you know, too greedy here, will you do it again the day after that? To, to put it on your to-do list if you need to, will you do it for the sake of the glory of God? Will you do it as a means to shift your heart away from all the grumbling that we are so prone to and, and towards genuine gratitude and worship of God? It's a real question. Will you do it? Will you just, if you will, will you just shake your head for me? Okay, right? This is like reformed altar call right here, right? I see that head in the back. Uh, just kidding. That, that, that's what I want. And that means go back and read this again. At least those two verses, if you just feel like, I'm too lazy to do the whole thing. At least the two verses at the beginning and, you know, the one in the middle. Um, okay. Uh, let's pray. Uh, oh, Lord, oh, Lord most high. 
And grant that we may walk out of here today having understood and received Psalm 9. May we celebrate your righteousness. May we rejoice in the fact that you are just. And may we rejoice in the fact that you will set the world right. May we deeper learn to trust you, to deliver us from enemies, from trouble of all sorts. And above all, Lord, would we find a genuine joy in, in, in praising you with grateful hearts. For you are a stronghold for us, and you have loved us with a cross-bearing, sin-atoning, death-defeating love. Thank you for the gift of Psalm 9, and, and may all of your words shape our hearts and our actions each and every day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.